I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Bill Bice. He is the CEO of Boom Time. Bill has always been an entrepreneur, starting his first company at age 14, putting on road races with corporate sponsors. That's hilarious. At 18, he started ProLaw Software, the first integrated ERP for law firms. After selling the company to Thomson Reuters, Bill became a VC as a founding partner in the Verge Fund, investing in high-tech, high-growth companies in the Southwest. Welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming. Um, so this might not be really, this might be really interesting. So what was your first job? Well, my, my first job was, uh, something you just mentioned when I, I was bored in high school and I would jump over the fence and landed in the back of the strip mall and, uh, met this family that was running a, a sporting goods store there. And they helped me start my, my first business, which was, uh, we would go out and get corporate sponsors and sign up runners and put on marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks. And I wrote the software to, to track all of that on my Apple II. And that's, uh, that's how I got into technology and programming. That's crazy. So you started with that at 14? Yeah. Writing softwares. That's amazing. Yeah, so I was, I was, you know, running my own little business at uh, at fourteen, and and getting to see what it was like to to see a family business from you know from the inside, and mm-hmm. and I think that's where I really fell in love with entrepreneurship, and uh, and I've, I've never been a very good employee ever since. I understand. Um, so that's how you learned it. Is that how you learned to code? That's really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I had been playing around just because it was fun to make a computer do something but mm-hmm. it was great like having a specific goal and a thing that I needed to make happen and then you developed your first software at 18 yeah so that was uh it, it really kind of grew out of that because mm-hmm. I ended up doing consulting for local businesses and one of them was a law firm and I, I wrote software for you know several different local companies and mm-hmm. eventually I had the bright idea that I should probably pick one of these and focus on it because it's really tough to like you know be working for just medical distributors on one side and law firms on the other and and I and there wasn't any great strategy or logic to it I just I happened to choose law firms and eventually that worked out pretty well so you figured out how to niche at 18 yeah there's <laughs> There's a, there's a natural, wonderful thing about really focusing in on a niche. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you know who your customers are. You know what you're doing. My, my problem was, there was two things. One is I had multiple, uh, multiple niches. So that, mm-hmm. that's not a great idea. It's much better mm-hmm. to have one and focus. <laughs> um, and also, I was 18, and so I thought I knew it all. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it took me a long time to actually figure out how to run a business because it turned out I, I really didn't. <laughs> Most of us aren't writing, you know, a for, you know, software at 18 though. That's really cool. Uh, so you said bored in high school. So that really kind of talks about so high school wasn't your thing. Coding was your thing. It was. Yeah. So can you give us a quick overview of the rest of your background from there? 
Well, so it, it took a long time to build that company. I eventually brought in some, some partners that, you know, that really added the, the pieces that I, were, that I was not uh, great at. And, and eventually we built a, a really great company. We had a, a 78% CAGR for the last uh, five years, gotten the 500 for three years in a row. Oh, wow. And ended up selling the, the company Thomson Reuters, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That got me on the management team of this you know, $2 billion division of a much bigger company. And, and I got to see that you know, all of the craziness that was going on in my little software company was exactly the same in this much larger company. Mm-hmm. There's just you know, more zeros behind everything. <laughs> Uh, it's funny how a lot of businesses are very similar once you're on the inside. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, so th- all of that was really lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, think, I think luck plays a much bigger element in business than, than anybody who is successful wants to give it credit because mm-hmm. you know, we want to say, oh, it's, I'm just, I'm brilliant. But the the reality is you have to work really hard and do it long enough that you have opportunities for the right things to fall your way. Um, and selling that first, that first company is a great example of that because we, we, we closed the sale of that on August 22nd of 2001, which was three weeks before 9-11. And it, you know, it just doesn't happen if mm-hmm. we happen to be three weeks later. That's crazy. Um, but because of that, I got to turn around and invest in and, and help start an, a number of companies, which has just been a, you know, a great experience. Um, it's funny you said that. I actually read um, Warren Buffett said something at their big um, Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting this, like yesterday about how, you know, just because people are born into money or walk into money somehow doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of everybody else. That's just kind of, I'm just... I'm paraphrasing, but I just, that was interesting that you said it's, it's by luck and it's by who, you know, a lot of the time too, I find, you know, it's who you meet and where those opportunities come from. And absolutely. So you have to put out the effort in order to create those opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't build the network, you don't take advantage of it. Then that, that lucky thing doesn't happen. But at the same time, the, the entrepreneurs that we tend to look at as, as, the largest successes. I mean, I always use Steve Jobs and Bill Gates as the mm-hmm. examples here because if they didn't happen to be born exactly when they were, they weren't exposed to computers at the schools they went to at a very early age. Like all these things had to line up. It's not that they wouldn't have been successful, mm-hmm. but the success at the level they achieved required a tremendous number of things to, to just get perfectly aligned for them. <laughs> and it had to be them taking you know, advantage of those things that as they line up, right? Right. Took all took all of those things, and and there are plenty of entrepreneurs who have just you know worked them that that have put in the hard work, that don't get the kind of, of success that that they represent, and you know luck just plays a a big part of that, and and so does timing, right? You can take the same exact team idea product and just move the timing forward or backwards five years and get a completely different result. Mm. It's really interesting. So how do we, how do we adjust for that? So how do we as business owners adjust for that? You, you have to apply the, the most important superpower as a, as a business owner and that's persistence. You, you have to stay in the game long enough in order for it to work. I like it. It's that persistence and now we're seeing resilience. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's you know, that's kind of been the that's been my word of the last few months as we're dealing with the COVID nineteen is resilience. Yeah, and there's so much opportunity that's going to come out of this crisis. But of course, mm-hmm. you don't get to take advantage of that if you're not able to make it through the crisis. Mm-hmm. And you know, lots of great companies get built in recession. Part of that's because necessity is the mother of invention. You some people get forced into building companies. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it's because you have to be really good to make it through a recession and be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is actually a great time to look at how really every trend that we're dealing with has suddenly been accelerated. Mm-hmm. And I talk about it, we're, we're all living a decade in one year right now. Mm-hmm. So whatever you thought was going to be 10 years from now, it's today instead. So how yes. do you take advantage of it? Yeah, um, you know, I've been talking to people, well, I always talk to people all the time, but um, you know, we work in the veterinary space um, and I'm just like, telehealth, go. <laughs> Online pharmacy, go. You know, all these things that have been on the back burner or you weren't sure if you're going to do, it's time now. Figure it out. Uh, you're going to be Absolutely. better on the front end. You know, you're, you're going to be better on the back end of this, you know, if you are implementing what you can. Um, you know, I'm actually looking at some stuff over on our end over here. Um, and we already work virtually with all of our clients and whatever, but it's just like, how, what else can we be doing? You know, how do we how do we change our processes? How do we change our systems? You know, whatever needs to happen in your business, now's the time to do it. Hopefully, you have time. Uh, if you're an accountant, you might not, <laughs> but everybody else seems to, or a banker. Well, and the crisis creates the opportunity to make those changes because those yeah. all the traditional excuses just suddenly fall away. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, tell us about so your company Boom Time. So what is boom time? What does it do? How does that help people? And then it's also legal focused mostly, right? Well, it's an important part of it um, because of that legal experience. But so the, you know, the backstory is, is I've, I've now gotten to be involved in, in creating and advising and investing in a, in a series of companies. Mm-hmm. And one of the most frustrating parts of, the, of that has been getting really great, consistent marketing. And yet... And then- <laughs> how you know however what, what all the hard effort you put into building your product or service like whether you get the payoff or not is really dependent on how good you are at marketing and not very many companies are good at marketing nope i've sort of tried everything right i've hired the high-end agency i've built the full team internally i've had the cmo with you know outsourced resources and and just all of all of the approaches have problems mm-hmm. uh, and i think it's inherently because you know, why does somebody go into marketing? It's because they don't want you to know what they do. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that needs to change. Mm-hmm. So um, we need scale and efficiency in marketing. And uh, I mean, I know you're going to appreciate this. We, we, don't, we don't allow that like in any other discipline in the business. Mm-hmm. But then we have this one weird space that's just sort of this black hole that just sucks money and never spits anything back out. And... And so I wanted to solve that problem and mm-hmm. it turned out to be pretty difficult to solve. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a good problem. Yeah. So we, we've ended up specializing in high value B2B. So things where the, you know, each client has a, has a fairly significant long-term value. Mm-hmm. You really can tell when, you know, you bring on a new client, you know, you brought that client on, you know where they came from because it's important to you. Mm-hmm. And, and by focusing in this one area, we've been able to build a playbook where we can take the, the same strategy and essentially apply it over and over again 
the thing that changes dramatically is what do you talk about? Mm-hmm. Because, Content. Yeah, the biggest mistake in marketing is talking about yourself. And 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 I know it, I mean, it, it seems a little contradictory, right? The whole point of marketing is to get people to know what you do, but they don't care what you do. What they care about is what's gonna make their life, their business, their career better. And great marketing talks about that. Mm-hmm. And you know, most companies have that, you know, it's 90% about them and maybe 10% about the client. All you gotta do is flip that around and suddenly your marketing is vastly better. Hmm. So the hard part of doing this well is coming up with really great content over and over again. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's why I love podcasting. It's, it's literally what you're accomplishing by doing this podcast, right? This is my content a... generation machine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to meet new people and it's fun and cool. And I don't have to talk about me. <laughs> win, right? Yeah. So you're, you're hitting the, the top two things right there. Right? Yeah. Don't talk about yourself. And then, and then the second one is mm-hmm. consistency or mm-hmm. a lack of consistency. Right. You know, the reason the vast majority of companies don't get a return on their marketing is because they don't have a strategy that they stick to long term. They just do sort of random acts of marketing. <laughs> and, and you need to pick something that you know is going to work so that you'll commit to it long term mm-hmm. because there really are no miracles in marketing. It's, it's that long term consistent in the trenches day in and day out thing that makes marketing work. I think people get hung up on the content. I know I do. Um, how do you help people with our content? You know, well, what is so that the, the, what is the formula? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's essentially two hard problems here. One is we've got to have the audience to talk to, mm-hmm. which I think is the most undervalued asset in, in every business, which are the all of your clients, past clients, prospective clients, everybody in your network, everyone that you can talk to without having to pay a media company in order to do so. Mm -hmm. So you have to focus on building that audience. And then if we're gonna do that, we then need to stay top of mind with that audience. That's where we get into the content problem. And so the way that we solve that problem is, because the vast, I mean, you are special in this regard, right? You have found a way to create content that really works for you. Mm -hmm. And And I love it. And we yeah. do, and we release them weekly and I'm never stopping. And so it works. <laughs> it works. But the vast majority of businesses don't have that mm-hmm. and, and don't even really want to, right? You, right. You they don't have business to. You wanna, yeah. They wanna, you want to take care of your clients. You want to run your business. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to create content. So I've never seen it work where the business creates the content. You've got to go find an outside content resource creator. and take your ideas and can, and can bring them to life in your voice. And that is really difficult to do. So we, we built a network of 300 subject matter experts uh-huh. where we do exactly that. They already know the audience. Mm-hmm. We're not taking someone who maybe is really good at writing, a copywriter, and then trying to teach them you know, this really niche business that has to talk to you know, a certain kind of business in a certain way. That'll just take forever. We, we want somebody who already comes out of that market, already knows it, and, and therefore, we can sit down and in 30 or 45 minutes, have a brainstorming session where we come up with enough ideas for three months or six months worth of, of editorial. So we capture those ideas from the CEO, from the executive team, and then we have somebody who, who fills it out. And then we have the really hard part, which is getting the voice right. We found it really hard to get subject matter experts to also be really good at the voice. So we have mm. an editorial team that specializes in voice. 
And then you run into the next problem, which is then you need to be really good at distributing that content and following the data so that every iteration you're getting better. You're learning what's creating engagement, what your audience actually cares about. So every turn of the wheel, your marketing machine is getting more intelligent and getting better and better and better. Hmm. And that's actually difficult to do because the, the tools for smaller business, if, if you're a huge company, you can put in the Adobe marketing suite or whatever platform you want and you will get the data that you need. But if you're a small business, actually understanding what's happening across the various channels and how they interact is really crucial to making this work, but it's mm -hmm. just difficult to do. Yeah, it is. Cause I'll look at the data sometimes and be like, but what does that mean? You know, and I love data, but. We have too much data is actually yeah. the problem now. So how do you turn that into information that you can make decisions on? Mm -hmm. And how do you, so in B2B, we really only have three channels, website, email, and LinkedIn. If we're, if we're really good at those three channels, you can absolutely kill it with your marketing. But you need to understand the customer journey across all three. You need to understand how they're interacting and working together in order to be really good at this. And, oh, that's and the analytics for each one are separate. They're not integrated. It's difficult to pull that together and really understand the, the customer journey. Mm -hmm. So why those three? Well, because, uh, so your website should always be the centerpiece, right? right. Because it's, it's just impossible to tell your story in the 15 seconds that you're lucky to get somebody when they come to your website. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got to capture them and keep bringing them back over and over again. And so we always want everything to go back to your website. Mm -hmm. um, it, as a specific example of the things that you see in the data when you look at it. So in business, do you know what the second most visited page on every business's website is after the homepage? Contact page? Review page. It's the very close. It's, it's the about us page. It's okay, I was going to say about us. Right? I was like, wait, which one do I always click on? <laughs> Well, and you do, right? Because you go to, you go look at a new company that you're mm -hmm. thinking about using. You heard mm -hmm. about lunch. And the first thing you want to know is who's behind the company. Who are the people? Exactly. But go pick a random businesses page, go to their about us page, scroll to the bottom. There'll be nothing there at the bottom of that page to take you to the next step. This is mm -hmm. the customer journey. Mm -hmm. right? So since we know they're going to be looking for that, you should make it really obvious on your homepage. This is why we exist. This is what we do. And this is who we are. That's what they're going to look for, who you are. So take them there and then continue to tell the story of why they should work with you. Mm -hmm. And then take them to the next place. There needs to be a big button at the bottom of your About Us page that takes them to the next step in the story that you want to tell. And, and so if you do this well, if you follow this data, what you're really doing is creating a sales process that pulls people down a micro commitment at a time deeper into a relationship with you. Micro so, commitment. That's new. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's actually crucial to what we're doing here because the, you know, the days where, where somebody hears about you, right? So I'm all about word of mouth. This is all, how do we take word of mouth and amplify it? Mm -hmm. And so if you have that, if you have referrals coming in, and that means you've already done the really hard work, you, you are taking care of your clients, they're telling other people about you, you just probably need more of those referrals. Mm -hmm. And so if you've done that hard work, then what we can do is, is amplify the effect of that and actually get more referrals. Mm -hmm. So we gotta capture those referrals, right? We can't just let them happen we need to automatically follow up with every single prospective client that ever gets interested in you. Mm -hmm. 
Because what happens over and over again is they hear about you today, but what they, they really need you six months from now. But if you don't capture them and get them in your database and keep talking to them that whole time, well, then they'll hear about somebody else between now and six months and you will have just lost that opportunity. Mm. But instead, if we capture them and we, and we keep talking to them, that's where we get to stage two, which is the email. You know, in, in, in business, the, people almost hate to hear this, but the thing that drives results is email. And the solution for your one business of how to solve the problem we all get too much email is for you to send more email. <laughs> That's how you break through. Because yeah. just having your name go by is, is what works. It's what keeps you top of mind. Mm -hmm. And the way you don't annoy people by sending them so much email is your email has to be relevant to what they care about. Mm -hmm. If it is, they'll be happy to get your email. They won't read every single one of them, but mm -hmm. they'll read enough of them over time that they really know who you are and and, and they'll already be way down the process by, by the time they call you up. So that, that's what I mean by micro-commitments because we're way past the time when that referral just you know, goes to your webpage and picks up the phone and calls you. Just like nobody does that anymore. Um, if you don't give them that story over time, mm -hmm. you're not really taking advantage of the referrals that you're creating. It's actually, if somebody calls me, I'm actually kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I just found you in Google. And I'm like, you know nothing about me. You know nothing about our business. I can promise you, you're probably and, not a good and, and that person's probably not a very good prospect, right? No, they're, they're just totally random. They never are. Because they're just like, mm, that one's close-ish. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's not really how we work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you wanted somebody who has read your website, has been getting your emails for a mm -hmm. couple of months, and now reaches out to you and says, I need this very specific thing that I know you're great at. That, that's where our goal is right there. And, and it usually happens via email, which is, which is why one of the things that we do to solve this problem is, I mean, nobody's good at using a CRM system. I mean, I, I would love it if everybody used their CRM, but every contact that they made in there, that'd be great. But it doesn't happen. Yeah. So what we do instead is we monitor the email box of everybody in your company and mm -hmm. say, oh, you, you just started talking to somebody new let's put them in our marketing database so that we automatically follow up with them. That's awesome. So it's just an automatic ad. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you have a database of your network. It's just that it happens to be an email and it's not getting leveraged for the purpose we need, which mm -hmm. is marketing. We actually had somebody, we're working on our email marketing and um, my producer always is like, okay, we'll just hand me your database. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's like, well, don't you have? And I was like, well, I started Mailchimp like three years ago, but it hasn't really been updated. And uh, I exported all of our contacts like three, six months ago, all mine at least. And you know, nothing's. <laughs> yes, that is the problem. Right it's there. like I'm just so overwhelmed by the fact that you know. And then we have the podcast email, which is a different email box, which has all the you know all the guests, all the potential guests, all like prospects everybody's in that one so we have to like somehow gather all this up now we can fix that problem for you and then the the last element is linkedin because mm -hmm. now we have this really wonderful thing that is like the equivalent of the ideal networking event and it's ideal for me because I'm, you know unlike you i'm a i'm a pretty strong introvert naturally so You're i also like an introvert no, i don't think so yep you're introvert right here 
Well, then we're both doing the same thing, right? Yes. <laughs> it's the connecting on Zoom is the is the perfect route for an introvert to get out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to see people, LinkedIn, we get up, but we yes. don't have to be too close. And then you you hit lead meeting, and and you're done. You get a break. Oh, yeah. Um, so the ideal thing about LinkedIn is is every ideal prospect I want is just sitting there in the database. Mm-hmm. And now I can go connect with them. I love LinkedIn. And, and as long as you treat it just like you would a networking event, mm-hmm. like you meet somebody for the first time, like, I mean, how often when you meet somebody for the first time, do you then pull out your PowerPoint deck and immediately give them a pitch? <laughs> like it just, it doesn't work. No. And yet that's what people do on LinkedIn all the time. It's oh, I know. Crazy. Ugh. <laughs> um, actually, a platform that does LinkedIn outreach for us uh, within our inches. And uh, it's been awesome, but also like some people are just like real mad and I'm just like, all I'm doing is saying hi, yo, and asking for like 15 minute coffee. I'm not trying to pitch you anything. Just want to get to know you. Um, and some people are very kind of put off by that, which I understand, but you're exactly right. Trying to like sell people off the bat. Those are the people I'm just like, your message goes to, I'm just going to leave you unread. <laughs> you just, you just don't connect with them. And- yeah. But if you do it right, like mm-hmm. if you work your way up to the ideal prospect so that you have a lot of connections in common already, mm-hmm. right, that's the number one factor in whether somebody accepts your connection request. Do you already have a lot of connections in common? Because if you do, they assume that it makes sense to connect with you. Mm-hmm. And, and what we have found really effective is everybody who connects, you then follow up with, uh, it's a concept out of the challenger sale. It's, it's sending a reframing article. Mm. You take a specific thing that you, that you have really great expertise on, that you know about their business. There's nothing salesy about it. It's just mm-hmm. this sharing insight and perspective you have. Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, here's this specific thing. Here's what I know about it and learned about it. And it's a great way as, a, as an introduction to what you do without there being any sales content at all. That's really cool. Yeah, we, I, send, um, I send a link to the podcast because I'm like... I've interviewed a ton of people in your, you know, in your current industry and a bunch of other ones. It's a whole catalog of info for you there. And that is, that is the perfect example, right? So we'll take mm-hmm. whatever has been the best performing content and use it for that, mm-hmm. that reframing article. That's great. Because it's the, it's the perfect way to start a conversation. And what's incredible is it's, it's actually working so much better right now because, you know, engagement on LinkedIn is up 55% since the crisis started. Yeah, so I believe everything, it. Everything we're doing on LinkedIn is working, you know, twice as well as it was uh, two months ago. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I feel like mine's kind of, kind of slowed down, but also my niche is really busy right now, you know, trying to change their businesses. So I think that's part of it. And then the other thing is also I haven't been on as much because <laughs> I've been more busy. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're still doing our pot, you know, putting the content out and all that, but it just isn't me. You know, I'm not in there doing, you know, all of my interaction that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, that makes a big difference. It does. So I want to talk about, like, I wanted to kind of talk about legal firms because that's your expertise and, you know, we have legal firms that listen. Um, so what are some of the biggest issues when it comes to marketing legal services? Well, the, the biggest issue is that law firms think marketing is a bad word. So that's the mm-hmm. biggest. And, and this, is a, this is really an issue sort of from the grand recession forward, because frankly, you could put out a shingle before that. And if you were, you know, halfway good at 
practicing law, you would eventually get enough business no matter what. It mm -hmm. word of mouth just work. But the market's become, you know, so much more competitive since then that the the firms who really want to be successful have to put a focus into into marketing. And and so getting all of the partners on board to stick with one marketing strategy is challenging. And it's a big advantage that smaller firms have. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to get all the partners on board. And the thing we've been talking about of creating a central database, mm -hmm. that's almost impossible the moment that you have multiple practice sites because they, they don't want to share. Mm -hmm. And yet the firms who are willing to do that have such a huge advantage relative to you know, their peer competitive firms. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the biggest things you can do as a law firm are get everybody on board with the same strategy, focus on building that central database. And then the easiest thing to do for marketing in a law firm is to cross pollinate your practice areas. Mm. So we, we go into law firms over and over again, where we'll look at how many clients only exist within one area of law in the law firm. Right. And they just, it, they just have an estate plan, but we're not doing business for them. Bingo. Business law. And, and so many firms build a set of complementary practice areas for the purpose of, of this working. Mm -hmm. And yet we'll, we'll see 60 to 90% of their clients only exist within, you know, within one practice area. Doesn't surprise me. And so simply talking to your clients about all the things that you do, because one of the big misconceptions for a law firm is that they see the relationship of, with the client as with the firm. Mm -hmm. The client sees the relationship with the individual attorney they work with. Mm -hmm. And they often see the firm only in the view of whatever that practice area is. I, I use this person for, for doing my estate plan. And then when I go buy a commercial property, I go find an attorney for that, even though the firm I'm already working with in trust does exactly that. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I think that happens in accounting a lot too, though. It does. So I had a client who, they're actually my friends. They came to me to do their personal stuff. And then they just did some real estate investing and they went and found a new attack. They went and found a new tax accountant that does real estate. And I was like, we do real estate. <laughs> She's like, you do? And I was like, we do. <laughs> and it was just so funny because I was like, oh, I've done a really bad job of communicating all the things we do or, you know, what we're good at or what practices we do or, you know. And I was like, okay, like I've, at that moment I saw, okay, they just see me and especially just as their friend mostly, right? Because that's their 90% Jamie as friend, 10% Jamie as tax person, you know, a couple weeks out of the year. And so they just didn't understand that we also do that. And I, to me, like it took me a minute, but I was like, that's funny and that's my fault, right? Because I didn't communicate any of that to them. Wow, and, and all you have to do is, is talk about all of the things you do. But mm -hmm. once again, not from the perspective of what you do, but from how it benefits the, the people who need what you do, who need mm -hmm. your expertise. Yeah. Very funny. It just reminded me of that conversation we had with them a few weeks ago. It's like, okay, whatever. Good luck. <laughs> most, most professional service firms have a tremendous amount of growth existing just within the clients and the mm -hmm. direct connections that they already have, mm -hmm. all we got to do is the right things to unlock them. Interesting. So I think you kind of answered that one. So what works in selling legal services? So 
people don't know what they do right beyond whatever service it is. So that cross pollination and how do you work on that? How do you, do you just tell more stories about the different sides of the law firm? Yeah, it's, it's really taking this insight perspective driven approach. It's just mm-hmm. in a, in legal and any professional services, you have to, you have to do it in every area of expertise. You have to talk mm-hmm. about all of the things that you do. You have, you have a whole stable of experts. So each one has to have their own voice where they're talking about what they are great at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see this in, in, uh, finance companies, consulting firms. It's, it's really all the same issue. Mm-hmm. And, and so using case studies that are really a learning opportunity to show the, to show through that insight and perspective is a great way to do it. Um, but it, it really comes down to just sharing whatever it is you think is the most valuable expertise you have that you want people to pay for. Your best marketing is give that away for free because they're still going to come to you and want to pay you for it because they're mm-hmm. not going to do it themselves. I can't imagine creating. So, cause I do advanced tax planning. Cause I'd be like, here's my tax roadmap. Knock yourself out. <laughs> exactly. People would be like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I'm supposed to take my tax return and do what? <laughs> it demonstrates that there's real expertise behind what you do. Yeah. And so it, it helps, it helps create some, some transparency. Mm-hmm. I found that the transparency is really wonderful in marketing. Like being really clear and straightforward about what you do mm-hmm. is, is great marketing. Yeah, I think, you know, especially with professional services, people are really confused about what we do. You know, like I'll have someone to give me some obscure like job title. I'm like, what does that mean? But people are really confused about just your basic run of the mill professional services a lot of the time too. Um, And the more I talk to people, the more I learn that. Um, They're like, oh, aren't you my financial advisor too? No, I'm not. I can advise you on financial things, financials, but not personal finance or whatever, right? Uh, well, and that's a great example of, of another form of marketing that's really powerful, right? Which is that you have, you have a lot of alignment with other professional mm-hmm. services right. that are great referral sources. And so one of the best things you can do in this area is, is have a second marketing campaign, which is all about those uh, those referral sources mm-hmm. and keeping them up to date on what they need to know to help their clients. It's the perfect way to, you know, to drive more referrals from, from someone who has the ability to keep sending you clients over and over again. Yeah. I love it. But really so, in professional services, I mean, word of mouth is the only thing that works. So yes, all we're doing is taking word of mouth and making it work better. I love it. Um, in a way that's replicable, right? Yes. And less work. So I think for me, and you know, I've said this before in a couple of podcasts, but like marketing, I'm actually really kind of starting to understand the nuts and bolts. Um, but it's just kind of been this nebulous woo woo. I don't understand how this works or whether strategy or, you know, ugh, I make content. I, I, I host the podcast. Y'all figure it out on the back end, Right. But I've realized that I need to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it because then I can make proper <laughs> adjustments. Um, so you just kind of broke down to like, here's stage one, here's stage two, here's stage three. It's very systematized and replicable. And that's, I think, what a lot of small businesses are like frustrated about is we find that 
it's just more work for us, right? We're trying to take care of the client. We're trying to handle this. We're trying to handle that. And then somebody's like, here you go, make more content. And you're like, I'm just going to put that on the back burner because I don't, A, know where to start or B, know what you're looking for, right? And then, and then even if you have the desire and, and you do it, mm-hmm. well, then what happens is it works and you get busy and then you stop doing it. That's right. <laughs> you, just, you just end up in this cycle where yes. you're going up and down and up and down. And if you really want your business to grow, then you, you have to do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to, um, a dentist friend of mine says that like his system, he can like turn up and turn down. Like he's got it figured out or he's working with worse with a company that does a really good job of like, he can turn it down. So it slows down. He can turn up when he wants more work, you know, like a replicable, a replicable um, service does that for you. Right. It gives you that flexibility to be like, mm, not quite ready. I know, you know, or we're dying right now. Okay. Give me some more. Okay. Maybe a little less. Um, but if you do that and it's all working and you know what works, then you can just turn it on. Right. Well, then you have a marketing machine where you, you, you just, you just turn up the volume and you keep growing your business. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, so what are some of the biggest mistakes you see, um, for any company doing their marketing? I mean, you've said, you know, they're not consistent about it or they're not doing the right messaging. You know, what are some of the other big mistakes you see? Well, there's some really unique mistakes right now, right? So there's a, there's a tendency in a crisis like this to actually go dark because mm-hmm. you're so confused with what's going on internally. Um, but that, that's the worst thing that you can do. Um, the second worst thing you can do is if you, ha- if, you have, if you happen to be in a really good place and have that marketing machine running and you have this sort of you know, ed- existing editorial calendar going, you've got to reevaluate all of your messaging right now. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a huge mistake that has happened over and over again in this crisis. And, and, and unfortunately, what happens in a recession is so many companies pull back on their marketing, and yet it works so much better right now. Because We're all, home. It's, yeah, We're all watching. We are. And, and so like what's happening on LinkedIn right now is, is, is just incredible how much better LinkedIn campaigns are working overall. If you're, you know, if you're doing the right things uh, around it and it's because engagement is so much higher, you've got the attention of your audience. The trade-off that you're making is, is you may not drive a lot of additional sales today because Mm -hmm. of the economic circumstance that we're in. But what you're doing is building relationships and planting seeds that are going to drive the recovery of your business. Mm-hmm. And all the companies that have pulled back, they're going to have a really tough time coming up the other side of the recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also you, you mentioned the tweak of the messaging, you know, making sure that your messaging is relevant, right? Or at least in some small way addresses what's going on right now. Yeah, I was looking at my LinkedIn messaging and I was like, I think we need to just also dial it back a little. Like we actually kind of slowed the messages down because my audience is less, tends to be less right now in our niche. But we also switched our messaging up just a little, just to be like, we hope everybody's happy and healthy right now. Like that's all it says. It's not like, oh, because of COVID-19 PPP loans and blah, 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 blah. Because we could have done that, but that's not how I roll. Um, So yeah, I think you know, what I've found, it's very interesting because I didn't know so many people had my email address until this whole thing went down. And then I got all the emails from the CEOs about how they're handling it. And I'm just like, 
Where did you come from? <laughs> like, and is it really relevant to me that yes, you've got your employees washing their hands? That's great. Yeah. I'm happy for them. That's what they're doing. What does that What does that have to do with me? <laughs> right. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, and honestly, the ones that have been relevant in this time for us are the ones that have turned up their emails, but they're also providing value in a way that's really talent tangible. Like they're like, this is this expert on this thing and this thing that's really tangible, you know, really applicable to you. And here's some free webinars, you know, it's been a lot of time in webinars, but I've also learned things, you know, because that's what they're offering. Um, but then there's people that have no business doing webinars, doing webinars, <laughs> right? They're just like, oh, we should do webinars. Okay, sure. Um, all right. So before I ask my last question, um, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn and, okay. uh, I'm, I'm demonstrating there exactly what I'm talking about. So, okay. you know, we, we share all the things that we learn because we want as many people to do this as possible. <laughs> of course. Um, and then, uh, so final question, what is the one thing each business owner needs to do today to improve their marketing? Well, I don't know how to make that deeper than the, than the, um, the avoiding the two mistakes that we've talked about. Like just, if, if you, if you just do that, your marketing will suddenly be better. Like mm -hmm. you just, you got to pick a strategy, stick with it mm -hmm. and not talk about yourself. And if you, if you just follow those basic rules, your marketing will suddenly be vastly better than it was before. I love it. I love it. And that's applicable and easy to go do, right? So consistency, tell a relevant story. Absolutely, and you know, and I'm all about following the data. And so I just, I see it in the data over and over again, mm -hmm. how it just works. And, and that's really what you need. I mean, the biggest problem with marketing is all of the money that we've all ever spent on things that didn't work in the past. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest hurdle to getting to a consistent, steady approach today that will actually work. Yeah, I think a lot of the, you know, that consistency, but understanding that this is a long game. And I think that's, that, that was a disconnect for me um, until I started podcasting because then I realized, oh, podcasting is a long game. Oh, podcast is marketing. Therefore, all of this is long game. <laughs> right? Then I was like, okay, that's why none of that other stuff works. It doesn't happen right away, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you, you often get a little bit lucky along the way, but- yeah you know, where we see the data that shows we're going the right direction, you know, that takes six months. And then when we really start to see consistent results, that takes a year. Mm -hmm. And then if you do it for two years, then you have a marketing machine that drives your business forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really important to say that it takes up to two years to get a really good machine figured out because that you have to you know, it has to be tweaked, it has to be changed, it has to be whatever. And I can think of a thousand other things I've done in my business that I'm constantly tweaking, but marketing for some reason never occurred to me as being that, you know, machine that needed to be tweaked. Well, and it, and it does. And that's, that's one of the things I love about having several hundred businesses that we're doing this for at once because we get so much data from that. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly testing that, that that tweaking is just like built into the, into the process. And it is always changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the anything core can principles it. are mm -hmm. right. The 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 strategy doesn't change. It's the it's the tactics of how does the email look? How do you make the post on LinkedIn? It's it's those detail things that keep changing because we can get 
four to six times more engagement on LinkedIn just by posting the right way. Don't do it the default way that LinkedIn wants you to. You get six more, six X more engagement. And the only way you find that out is by constantly testing and seeing what works. Mm. And small business owners, we don't, we don't A, know where to start, right? <laughs> or B, understand what those tweaks might be, you know, or what those changes might be to get us more engagement. Right, it's just crazy to put your time into that, right? You, you've got a business to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, it's just, it's tough to, to, do, to do everything. I, I think you, you need to be great at what you're great at mm-hmm. and, and have someone who is an expert at that deal with it for you. You're preaching to the choir over here. I totally am all about that highest and best. <laughs> Which is why every time I talk to somebody about marketing, I'm just like, I just need to hand it over. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I so appreciate your time today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant. Be abundant.